0: Good morning. The glasses, the microphone, the mask, it's a lot. i gonna make sure I'm okay here. All right, you can hear me okay? Good morning, my name is Anthony Hiron. Um, I've been attending New Community for 16 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Uh, I've been attending with my wife, uh, Liz, who's just my favorite person, um, and our children, Ben, Maya, and Daniel. Um, I was in ministry for 10 years uh, and I used to speak and teach quite a bit, but I haven't in like the past three years. So I'm a little nervous actually today, which I did not expect. Um, But I trust and believe that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I trust and believe that God has something to say um, today. Now I was actually supposed to preach about a month ago and my aunt, uh, my mother's only sister, very close, she died pretty suddenly. And um, so Emily was gracious enough to, to move it around so I could uh, kind of focus on that. And it just got me to thinking, And I promise normally I do an introduction where I do something funny or something like that and this is not that. Um, it just got me to thinking about what we have lost over the past almost two years now. Um, And for some of us, it maybe is is small things. You know, we've missed opportunities. We've missed uh, activities and events that we've wanted to do. Our our, our children have missed so many things, so many opportunities that we wanted our kids to have. Time in school, time with friends. Some of us have lost pretty major things. Uh, We've lost jobs. Uh, We've lost relationships. We've lost homes. um, We've lost loved ones over the past two years. And um, as I was reflecting on that, really, the Beatitudes came to mind in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, And it's such a a weird thing to say. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, It kind of feels like an oxymoron a little bit to me. But really, I just hear... God's call to us. uh, Not that he's going to take away any pain, uh, but that he is with us in that pain uh, and that his comfort is good and he is okay with us being sad and he's okay with us crying out and mourning and being angry about what's going on um, and the losses that we have. So it is good and right to mourn. Take the time to do that and know that God is with you in it. So that is my, my introduction, <laughs> has nothing to do with my sermon. It's a whole other sermon, apparently. Um, but this is the last of our sermon series on uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And uh, the passage I want to talk about today is, is in the book of Luke. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to that, but I'm going to read it here. So it's Luke 7, uh, 36 to 50. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, in that life who lived, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. So a little bit of uh, background here. Uh, in, in this time, uh, there would be these dinner parties, sort of intellectual discussions. And uh, you would, the way they, they sat is you would kind of lean and, and you reclined at the table. You laid down, sort of an inset. You, your feet would sort of be out. Uh, and then you were sitting at the table and eating your food. And they'd have these discussions that were happening And so prominent people like Simon the Pharisee here would host these discussions, would invite if he heard a local teacher, uh, a prominent teacher like Jesus was in town, would invite him in. And it was open to people. People could come in and they could stand around. They weren't invited to the dinner, but they could listen to the discussion. If you know anything about uh, ancient Jewish to modern Jewish culture, like the importance of intellectual discussion and knowledge and question asking is huge. So this was kind of an event that they'd have. Um, and uh, so this, this is what's happening. And, and we hear Simon uh, is called a Pharisee. And so the Pharisees were like the intellectual religious elite of their time. So they were known as upright moral people. In fact, they built a whole code of morality. Their goal was to say, this is the way, this is how you become good and acceptable to God. With all these rules of when you can work, when you can do certain things, how you react to people, how you give. They had a whole rule structure built on top of the scripture to say, do this and you are acceptable, fail and you're not. And so Simon the Pharisee has this interaction with Jesus. He clearly has some judgment toward the woman. The woman, we don't know what she did. She's just called a sinful woman. Uh, She has some sort of reputation where it's known in the town. Um, And uh, he has this interaction of like, man, if he knew who she was, then he wouldn't allow this. Of course, we see that Jesus knows Simon thought, Simon's thoughts. He knows who the woman is, and he's okay with what's happening. Um, and then he tells this parable. And so a denarii, a denarius was a, about a day's wage for a day laborer. So you can think about it as like minimum wage. Um, so, you know, let's say 100, uh, 100 bucks or something like that. So one person owed $5,000, not a small sum of money another person owed $50,000. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, $50,000, a very large amount of money. Think about 50 days of your labor, almost two months, versus 500 days, almost a year and a half of your labor. So two debts, both not small, but one significantly larger than the other, uh, he says, "You know, who's who has been forgiven more?" Simon says correctly, and Jesus forgives the woman, and that's it. It's a really straightforward passage, and, and we're done. Have a you know, have a great Sunday. Um, I want to spend some time digging a little bit more into the characters in this story. So Simon, this guy was—he was a pillar of his community. He was a big deal. Pharisees were respected. They were knowledgeable. He's probably spent most of his life learning, memorizing scripture, focusing and asking questions and figuring out like what does it mean to follow God? Who is God? How do we do this? And so he's a big deal. He's a pillar in his community. This woman is the exact opposite of that. She lived in a patriarchal misogynistic society as most societies throughout history have been. she was, had a reputation, she was known to be sinful. And she comes to this party and she violates every social norm for how she's supposed to act. She humiliates herself. In this time, women were not supposed to let their hair down in public. That was not okay. Okay. Women weren't really supposed to participate in these sorts of conversations. I mean, you look back at the law and and like women's testimony wasn't even admissible in public in in court because they didn't think women had the ability to to testify. So they had not a great view of women. And yet something in her drives her. She hears that Jesus is there. She comes to Jesus. She lets down her hair and she weeps in public and uses, lets down her hair and dries his feet that are wet with her tears. And she breaks open an expensive jar of perfume and anoints him. And she humiliates herself to get to Jesus. Now Simon sees this, and he knows the norms. He knows how you're supposed to act. He knows who she is and thinks to himself, if he were a prophet, he wouldn't allow this. Simon, this pillar of the community, acts correctly, appropriately. and But what he does is really the shameful thing. He judges, and we see going on that his interaction with Jesus, the way he, that he uh, acts, is actually really inappropriate. If you look back at the Old Testament, hospitality is a really big deal in the Old Testament. It's actually kind of a justice issue. It's really important that when someone is traveling, when someone comes in, when someone is a foreigner or unknown, that you're supposed to care for them. You're supposed to invite them in your home. You're supposed to treat them well. And yet what we see Simon do is completely abdicate the responsibility of a host. We know through scripture that the Pharisees didn't have a great view of Jesus. They didn't like some of the things that he said. They didn't like him claiming to be God. They didn't like him forgiving sins. They didn't like him violating their moral code that they had built in the scripture. And so Simon pretty much snubs Jesus. He's invited him into his house. He knows that Jesus has something to say, but he wants other people to know, I'm not really with this guy. So what the woman did was humiliating, but it was humiliating in light of the societal values, the broken society saying, this is how you should act. What Simon did was shameful in light of the word, in light of scripture. He violated scripture. She didn't. And so when Jesus tells this parable about someone who owes a big debt and someone who owes a small debt, Simon gets it a little bit. Um, I like to think, I don't know if you've ever been in an argument where someone makes like a, a, an argument or a discussion or something like that, and someone makes a killer point and you're just not ready to admit that, dang it, they got it. Oh, they're right. I kind of feel that Simon, and maybe this is me putting my own thing because I really like to be right. Um, I kind of feel like Simon gets it, but he's not ready to really admit it. So it's not like, you're right, the one who, the one who has the bigger debt, you're right. He says, well, I suppose... The one who had the bigger debt forgiven. (laughs) But I don't think the point here that Jesus is trying to make is well, Simon, she's more sinful than you, and she had a big debt forgiven, and you haven't. I think the point here is Simon, she recognizes she has a debt, and you don't. You think you're acceptable. You think you have followed this moral code and you've done all the right things and you have a great reputation and she's this terrible person and that no, no one should be allowing themselves to be touched by her or interacting with her. And you think you're good and okay because of the things you've done, but really you're just as broken. And if you recognized it, you would have followed through with what the, the scripture says about respecting the role of a host and treating guests well. And so, yes, the woman has humiliated herself, but she humiliated herself to get to Jesus. But Simon has violated the scripture and shamed himself by not respecting what scripture has called him to do. And so the thing about passages like this is we love to put ourselves in the position of the person who is lower, right? We read this and say, yes, I am the the sinful person who needs to weep at Jesus' feet and, and beg for forgiveness because I've sinned so much and I need Jesus to come and forgive me because I'm so broken. We don't often put ourselves in the position of Simon who says, why can't everyone else get their act together? I'm following the rules. I'm doing the right thing. I'm moral and upstanding. Why can't this woman put her life together? We read the prodigal son and we think, yes, I'm the sinner who has to come and lay prostrate at my father's feet so that my father can forgive me and welcome me back in. We don't put ourselves in the feet in the, in the shoes of the older brother who's like, hey, I've been here the whole time. Why are you forgiving this person? You've never celebrated me, and yet I do the right thing all the time. We read the story about the, the the widow who puts her two copper coins into the offering box and Jesus says, Yes, her small offering is such a great sacrifice. And we say, Yes, even the little that I have I can bring to Jesus and I can say, Here, take it. We don't put ourselves in the feet of the, the, the wealthy person who comes in and gives extravagantly so everyone can see how great they are. Look how much I've given. I'm so great. We read the story of the the sinful man coming to the temple who, who gets down on his knees and beats his chest saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinful man. And we say, yes, I'm such a sinner. I need Jesus so desperately. We don't put ourselves in the feet of the person who says, thank you, God, for not making me him. We read the book of Job. Job who lost everything suffered, and was restored. And we say, yes, Lord, I am suffering. I have lost, and I need your restoration. But we skip the whole part where his t- two of his friends... Kind of offer easy answers that make no sense in light of what's happening, we don't put ourselves in their shoes. We certainly don't put ourselves in Job's shoes when God shows up and for 10, 20 chapters says, Were you there when I made the stars and put them in the sky? Were you there when I filled the storehouses full of snow? Tell me why you're coming to me and asking me and questioning me about who I am. We want to, we want God to see that we're suffering, we want the restoration, we don't want the correction. As a nation, we like to see ourselves as Israel. We are the new Israel, right? And we read Exodus and God will make a nation and he will provide land and he will bless. And we are are blessed and God has chosen us as a special people set apart from all the others. And we are the shining city on the hill. We don't like to read the book of Amos where God says you have been measured and found wanting. We don't like to read the judgment where God says, You have exploited and you have destroyed and you have treated the most vulnerable in horrible, terrible ways, and you will be exiled. We come to the cross, the most shameful, humiliating death someone would, could die, and we want the forgiveness. We want the victory that comes with the cross and the defeat of death. But we don't want the suffering. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that's not about victory. That's about suffering and humiliation. So when we read this passage... There's two questions that I have. First, are we willing to humiliate ourselves for the gospel and for Jesus, to get to Jesus? You see, we are often on this this moral path like Simon, right? Of we're on the moral path and I'm doing the right things and I'm doing what society says is okay and how I'm supposed to act. But if we look at scripture and we look at this passage, Jesus never condemns the woman. He doesn't even list her sins. He just forgives her. When he talks to people who recognize that they are sinful, he doesn't list out and say, well, here's all you've done wrong, and you are, you are a terrible person, and you need to prostrate yourself. He forgives people, and he has compassion. When he has condemnation, when he has judgment, it's almost exclusively for the religious elite. And we need to recognize that in this society, in this this place in America where we are right now, the religious elite is us. It's us. We are the ones that get to say, like, this is morality and this is what is good. We have defined what society is. And when we're in that path, Jesus shows up for condemnation and judgment. If we want to follow and find Jesus and really find out who he is to to follow and to take up our cross, we need to get out of that path and go somewhere else. And often that means breaking the societal rules, doing the humiliating thing like the woman did. She broke the rules she humiliated herself and in doing so she found Jesus. Not condemnation and judgment but love and acceptance of forgiveness. So what is the humiliation that we are called to? What are the ways that we are called out of this path? Now at the same time what is the shameful thing that we're holding on to? Like Simon who broke The scripture, in order to follow the societal expectation, as a Pharisee, I can't embrace Jesus, I can't say good things about Jesus, and I'll look good to my friends if I do it this way. You see, we live in a society that has a lot of problems. We live in a society that is white supremacist and racist. We live in a society that is misogynistic, that is homophobic, that is transphobic, that is ableist. And I think the shameful thing that I think of for me is recognizing how much of my gospel is influenced by those things. I don't want to admit that. I don't want to admit that the gospel I've read and the gospel I've followed is tainted by white supremacy. I'm biracial. I'm white and Latino. Um, there, you know, We can talk about that later. There's a lot going on with that. Um, You know, I've been affected by white supremacy, but I've also lived in it. I've also benefited from it as a white passing Latino. I don't want to admit that there is racism tainting the core of my gospel. I don't want to admit how my view of women has been affected by what society says a woman should be. I have a whole community of friends uh, online. I'm, I'm a fairly big nerd. I play a lot of video games, play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and uh, in that community, I'm often ashamed to say that I'm a Christian because many of the people in that community are queer. And I know that the cross is not good news for them. That when they see the cross, they don't think of forgiveness and victory, they think of condemnation and judgment and shame and hurt and pain. Gay and trans youth have unbelievably high suicide rates, and we're a part of that. We carry blame for that. I have mental health issues, I have ADD, I have depression. But my gospel is ableist. We live in a society that says pick yourself up by your bootstraps, which by the way was supposed to be impossible. The origins of that statement was the impossibility of picking yourself up by your bootstraps. But we've turned it into this thing of if you work hard, then you're good. And we built a whole society on the idea that if you, are, if you have different abilities, if you are disabled, that's your fault. And so I've struggled with, I like to give um, an application. And CC, you can come up. I'm going to wrap up here. I like to give an application to my, to my sermons. And, and I, I struggled with the application here because I don't want us to, to go out into the world and say, well, I'm going to humiliate myself with the gospel and in doing so hurt people. So I don't know. I don't know what the application is, especially on the humiliation part. On the shameful part, I think we need to recognize where our gospel has been tainted. And we need to own that and to investigate that and to interrogate that. And so my application to you is to take this passage to Jesus. Take it to God and say, God, will you show me? Show me what you're calling me to do. Show me how I can pick up my cross and follow you. Out of this righteous, societally acceptable path into the hard places. The places of suffering and humiliation where I will find you and come to know you more. Because it's there in those places where we really experience Jesus. Imagine this woman, what she has experienced living in a town and living in this misogynistic patriarchal society, being known as a sinful woman, being shunned for that, and coming to Jesus, humiliating herself, and Jesus looking at her, looking her in the eye and saying, you are forgiven. Imagine what that felt like and what that meant for her. And imagine what Jesus has for you in those places. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I confess to you that when I read scripture, when I think about my faith, I want the victory, I want the blessing. I want the good, I want heaven, I want restoration. But I often don't want the path that gets me there. I want to ignore the suffering and the pain and the humiliation that comes with following you. And so Jesus, I ask for all of us today that you would help us to let go of our need to follow society's rules to fit into a broken society that hurts people and instead to pursue you and only you. And Jesus, may we look inside ourselves, look at our faith, look at our gospel, look at our view of you and lay it at your feet and say, God, show me where I have missed the mark. Show me where I've accepted a false view of you. Show me where I've accepted the lies of a broken society that has told me who you are and gotten it wrong. Jesus, we confess that as the church, the gospel has always been good news, but the church has not been. And may we repent and turn away from that and become the good news that you intended for this world. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.